Well, uh, welcome to Hebrews. Welcome to the start of a new series. So um, I'm really excited to study Hebrews. I think it's going to be challenging. So stick with it um, and just come and, and be prepared to, to learn and absorb. Um, to start this morning, did you guys hear the big news? I don't think you could miss it over the last week. Big news, Harry and Meghan stepped down from their senior royal roles. It's like a little life-altering for me because I don't know if you remember, I've shared in the past that I kind of have a fascination with all that royalty stuff. And I was in um, London last year, like right after their baby was born. I feel like we kind of connected and bonded. (laughs) Anyway, um, royal life hadn't been going the way that they wanted it to. So they're taking a gamble, right? And they're stepping down and making the assumption that life outside of royal life is going to be better than life inside royal life. We'll see if it pays off for them, right? Because the grass is always greener on the other side. We always think that out there is just going to be just a little bit better than what we have now. So I hope that it does work out for them because, as I said, we're pretty tight. Um, Only time will tell. But it makes me wonder, do I, am I looking for something better when I really have it pretty good? When everybody else would look at my life and think, why would she want something better? She's got it all. Hebrews, I think, has the answer for what we should consider to be better. Not life in the palace, even though we were all raised on like the fairy tale princess Disney stories, right? Not life outside the palace, but life with Jesus. Hebrews has the answer. Adrian introduced the book last week with the main point. Do you remember what it was? Don't abandon Jesus because Jesus is better. And so right away we jump into this argument in Hebrews 1. It's a fitting introduction to the book because it makes the point that Jesus is God and he's better than angels, which can seem like kind of a strange point to us today, right? Because we don't necessarily think that angels are better. That may not be what we run to when we're looking for something better than Jesus. But clearly, that was an important argument to start the book off, according to the, the author of Hebrews. So let's jump in and look at that. We're going to look at this in two sections this morning. First, in verses 1 through 4, Jesus is God. That's the main point of those verses. And then in 15 through 14, Jesus is better than angels. So Jesus is God, and he's better than angels. Jesus is God. What does Hebrews 1 have to say about Jesus? It's so rich. It's so awesome. And so I just want us to like walk through it step by step this morning because there's so much in here. Jesus speaks to us. That's the first thing that we see in verse 2. Jesus speaks to us. Formerly, God spoke through intermediaries, right? He spoke through the prophets. He spoke to our fathers, the author says. But now God speaks to us through his word, through his son. The word is spoken directly to us because it comes through Jesus and because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So this word is to us. It's personal. And only God can speak God's word, right? So therefore, Jesus must be God. This word that he's spoken is the final word. In the past, when the word was spoken to the fathers, 
through the prophets, there was this expectation that there was more to come, right? That this was just part of the story. But now we have the final word in Jesus. God's word is complete. Our expectation isn't for more words to come. Our expectation is for Jesus himself to come and to take us to be with him forever. The next thing that we see here in verse 3 No, still in verse 2, God appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Jesus is heir and creator. Jesus, as God, owns this world. So if we were to go back to the very beginning and open our Bibles in Genesis 1, we would read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, in Hebrews 1, we see that all three members of the Trinity were present in creation. God was speaking into being. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, and Jesus was carrying out God the Father's words. As creator, as fully God, Jesus is heir of all things. He created them. He has creator's rights then, right? If we follow the logic through him here, it makes a lot of sense. All of creation belongs to God, and Jesus, as his son, inherits it all. Only God can create. Only God can oversee and control all things. We see again here that Jesus is fully God. Looking next, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, taught his disciples that if they want to know God, they should know him because he is the display, the earthly display of God. So I don't know if God the Father has DNA, but if he does, Jesus has the same DNA, right? Not only that, but his character, his emotions, his entire being perfectly matches that of his father, He is the exact imprint of God's nature. So here we see that mystery of the Trinity, right? They're the same, yet separate, distinct. We can't wrap our minds around how all that works. So Hebrews 1 is a great chapter to go to, to just, like, think about the depths of all that we can and cannot understand about God and his Son. And then we see, and this one really struck me, he upholds the universe by his the the ESV says the um, the word of his power right yes um, but a, maybe a better translation for us to understand is his powerful word he upholds the universe through his powerful world this word this makes me think of the song that maybe some of you guys sang in Sunday school he's got the whole world in his hands he really does have a whole world not just in his hands though in his word just he just speaks and upholds the world. So if I had a, like a really fragile, expensive vase up here, I could hold it for you in my hand and hope that I didn't drop it. And I wouldn't even feel that secure about standing in front of you holding it, right? But could I hold it with my word? Of course not. But Jesus can. He can hold the whole universe, all of creation, up just by his word. The author of Hebrews 
tells us that nothing happens outside of Jesus' control. So you and I can rest perfectly at ease because Jesus will always have the upper hand. Jesus is in control. He is upholding the world, the universe. So then I think the question becomes, okay, he's God. He's got everything under his control. We read that. If we believe that, then we have to be face-to-face with the fact that he's got everything under control. The question then becomes, is he good? If if everything is under his control, is he good? And I think the next phrase helps us answer this question. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins, here we see the gospel which is the question that was supposed to be in your homework that somehow I didn't actually get it in there, no matter how many times I tried, Um, because me and technology don't always work out. So um, the gospel here, right? How did Jesus make purification for sins? He came to earth as a man, fully God, fully human. He set aside his rights. He lived this human life. He perfectly obeyed all of God's laws in our place, Yet, after all that, he was condemned as a sinner, hanging on the cross for our sins. God himself died as a common criminal. The creator, the one who upholds the universe by just his word, the all-powerful one, quietly, humbly submitted himself to death on a cross for you and for me. It's like unimaginable, isn't it? When we read these things that come first in Hebrews to think of who he is and how powerful he is that he hung on the cross for us in our place. But that's not the end of the story. He then got up from the dead three days later because sin and death have no hold on the creator of the universe. He had no guilt, and he is God in all power and glory. So sin and death could not hold him, and this is how he makes purification for our sins. He takes them upon himself, takes our punishment upon himself, stands guilty and condemned in our place. But why was this purification for sins necessary? Well, because we, God's creation, rebel regularly against our creator. We try to go our own way. We try to rule ourselves. We think that we know better than God. We think that there's something better than God. We fail to give him all glory and honor and worship Instead of honoring and worshiping and glory, instead we honor and glory and worship all kinds of other things. This is the sin that breaks our relationship with him and separates us from him. We are in desperate circumstances until we can somehow purify ourselves from this sin. And as we saw in our study this fall, as we went through the story of scripture, we can try and try and try, but we will never be able to purify ourselves from this sin on our own. We need Jesus. We need his sacrifice on the cross to purify us. And so that's just what he did. So back to our question. He's all-powerful. Is he good? Yes, he is. He gave himself on our behalf to reconcile us to himself. And he did it because he loves us. We can trust his goodness because if he's good enough to do this, he's good enough to care for our every other need. And after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was finished. 
gets it. And now he reigns not only over his creation, but over his church, right? Jesus is God because he rules with God. He's upholding all things from the throne room of heaven. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. On the one hand, he's the greatest king because he created all things. He oversees all things, owns all things. He's completely God in every way. And on the other hand, he's the greatest king because he gave himself for his people. And so as he's ruling from the heavenly places, we can rest on the fact that he is all-powerful, he has everything under control, and he has our best interests in mind. He already has acted for our greatest benefit. So I think that requires that we ask ourselves, is this Jesus enough for us? Is this Jesus enough for you? And I imagine that most of us in this room are quick to assent, yes, Yes, he is. We read all these things, and how could you answer anything else if you believe them? We do believe that Jesus is better. He's the best. He's God. He's glorious and powerful and good and Savior and King. But what do our moment-by-moment lives attest to, really? When we walk away from here this morning, and little or maybe big things get thrown at us, how do we respond? Where do we go to? Or when we leave Bible study and we get thrown right back into the chaos and busyness of life or work. Or maybe when we head home and it's too quiet because life hasn't gone the way that it was supposed to. And home means loneliness. Do we live in all those circumstances as though Jesus is enough? Do we turn to our creator, our savior, and king in all these things? Or do we just kind of get swept up in whatever's happening in our lives each day? I think we also need to ask, do we worship and revere Jesus as God, as creator of the universe, as upholder of all things? Or is our worship mostly oriented around the truth that he is Savior. Now, I want to be careful here because we should worship him for being Savior. That is true. Um, And we don't want to not worship him for that. But if our focus is always on worshiping Jesus as our Savior, he can become a functional God, right? That he is all about me. He's all about just saving me. We should worship him as our Savior wholeheartedly with all of our hearts. But we should also worship him beyond that, meditating on how big he is, that he's God himself. He's not just a man who died on, my, on the cross for my sins, but he upholds the universe just by his word. The gift that we have in knowing Jesus, in having his word, in being saved by him, belonging to him, being governed by his perfect kingship, these gifts are astounding. So why would we ever settle for less? Jesus is better. Jesus is God. So this idea of why would we ever settle for best, for, or settle for less, that's the point of the rest of our text. Jesus is better than angels. So the author is making this point that Jesus is better than angels. And why does he make that point? That was like my main question when I was going through this chapter. Why start here? Well, why angels? Tom Schreiner in his commentary, and I 
I'm not often quick to quote somebody, but this was really like powerful to see for me. He says, angels were the mediators of the Mosaic law. So in stressing the son's superiority to the angels, the author features Jesus' supremacy over the Mosaic law and the Sinai covenant. So what we have are, is an audience that is probably, the, the author is writing to this original audience that are probably um, Jews who are following Jesus now, but being per- persecuted and wondering, like, life was better before. Life was easier before. Maybe we should return. Maybe we've got this wrong. Maybe we should go back to the law. Maybe we should go back to the law that's mediated by angels. Now, I don't think that excludes the fact that there was angel worship going on also, but I think that does kind of help to open up this whole argument for us. So the argument then is that these early Christians should not give up on Jesus and return to the law that's mediated by angels. That would be going backward. That would be giving up the better for the inferior because Jesus rules over angels. The word that he brings is the final word, the word that the law anticipated. So the angels were mediating the law until the time that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Why would they return to something that was always pointing forward to Jesus? They have the better. Angels had a special role with the law, and they're these mysterious, fascinating beings. But Jesus is far better far more glorious, far more mysterious, more fascinating. For, as the author says here, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Or, let all God's angels worship him. Who's better? Jesus. And I think it's fun to see here that the author's argument in verses 5 through 13 actually follows his argument in verses 1 through 4. Jesus is God's son. He's the royal heir. The angels are not the royal heir, he says here in verses 5 through 9. Jesus is creator, we see in verse 2. The angels are not. We see that in verse 10. Jesus is eternal. He's fully God as we see in verse 3, the angels are not. In verses 11 through 12, the angels were created by Jesus. Jesus is exalted as king in verse 3. The angels are not king. It's just Jesus. We see that in verse 13. So these verses here are a list of Old Testament citations, and we looked them up in our homework, and maybe you talked about them at your table. And one of the reasons why these citations are so significant is that they did demonstrate that Jesus has always been superior to the angels. This is not a result of his earthly ministry or his death on the cross. It's not a result of his resurrection or his ascension where he became greater than the angels. He is by nature, by position, by authority, the Son of God. He always has been and he always will be. He is God. The Old Testament has always been telling us about Jesus who would come. Why does this matter so much? Well, when we worship anything else apart from God, we're being deceived. Even if it's something good like angels. Even if it's something good like the law. We are worshiping something that has a beginning. Something that has been created. We have the opportunity to worship the creator 
the only one, the only thing that is eternal, that has no beginning and no end. Why would we give that up to worship something that has been created by him? Jesus rules over all things. He rules over everything that we can see and touch and experience. He rules over all the things that are happening clear on the other side of the earth in the remotest places. He rules over all the planets, the stars, the moon, and the sun. He just holds them into being. But his rule is even bigger than that. He rules over all the things we dream about doing, the hopes that we have. He rules over our future and our past. And the author of Hebrews wants to make it clear that Jesus rules over every spiritual being also. So maybe you're thinking, I already know all these things. This is not news. And I get it. It's not news to me either. Like, we know these things to be true. And yet, I don't know about you, but as I was reading and meditating and praying through Hebrews 1 this week, I realized that so many of these things I know intellectually, I assent to them, I can think on them, I can draw conclusions from them. I never wonder if angels are better than Jesus. That's not part of my everyday living, right? I can assent to all these things being true about Jesus. I believe that he's creator and sustainer and savior and king. But do I think about these things long enough to really take them in? Do I think about all the implications of them? Do I sit in worship of who Jesus is? And if I do, does my life reflect it? Because if I believe all these things to be true... My life is going to reflect it. If I'm honest, I have to say that so much of the time my daily life does not reflect that I truly believe, that I truly get that Jesus is better. The author of Hebrews is exhorting his readers not to turn back to former things. Don't return to the law that you've been set free from through Jesus. Or maybe for those who weren't Jewish before trusting Jesus, the author warns them not to turn to the law as though those things will deliver them from the persecution or help them to know or follow God better. They already have the very best thing in Jesus. Don't we need to hear that same thing? We probably aren't considering abandoning our faith for angel worship, but there are ways probably in which we're living as though other things are better than Jesus, even if we don't think about it that way. It's so easy, it's so tempting to look around us, look at the things that surround us for hope or for meaning, to make our earthly lives a priority. Maybe it's, maybe it's health. If I can just get a firm diagnosis of what's going on, I'll feel better. If I can just find something that helps, it'll be better. If I eat well and exercise, I can kind of you know, make sure none of those things even happen. I don't get there. If I just feel good, I'll be a better follower of Jesus. I've had a lot of migraines lately. I've fallen into that, that uh, category of thinking. If I could just feel good, I would be a better follower of Jesus. Is that true? Is health better or is Jesus better? Or maybe it's making wise decisions for the future. If I save enough money, I won't be a burden to anyone and I can be a better minister. Or if I can retire early in time to enjoy it, I can do all kinds of things for the kingdom of God. Or if we can just afford to buy a house, or whatever else it is. But what's better? Financial freedom? 
or Jesus? Maybe we put our hope and purpose in our children, raising them well, praying that they'll come to know Jesus. These are good, all of these things, all of the things that I've said are good things. We shouldn't abandon them. But what's better, having good children or Jesus? When these good things start taking up more significance or time or attention or priority in our lives than Jesus, there's a problem, right? And it's so easy to fall into that because we just go through the grind of our day, right? It's also so easy and tempting to fall back into old practices, the things that maybe we we used to hope would make us significant or prove us worthy. Maybe it's religion, uh, religious practices or tradition. Or like maybe you started that Bible reading plan a couple of weeks ago and you know, maybe you've fallen off of it. Or maybe every day you're, like, really faithful. But what's our motivation in doing it? To put on a good show or to get to know the Jesus of the Bible better? Bible reading plans are good things. Or maybe it's putting on a good front so that no one will know what's really going on. Wherever it might be, there's so many different things. And these are just examples. But what is it in your life Where are you kind of tempted to creep over just a little bit towards putting more hope in other things than in Jesus? How, then, can we regain our proper focus, our adoration, our worship, our loyalty to Jesus? Well, I think it starts with seeing him for who he really is. To keep meditating on Hebrews 1, right? Especially verses 1 through 4. And and just take in who Jesus is, and to keep thinking about the implications of all these things, that he is so big. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then from that perspective, to look around and see everything else for what it is. See how small it is, how less than it is, if we truly put it side by side next to Jesus, who's better. And then, in other words, all these things really just preach to yourself. Remind yourself of truth. Remind one another in truth. Have relationships that will point you to truth. Devote time and attention to the things that remind you of how great Jesus is, first and foremost, his word, because that's how he's chosen to reveal himself to us. Then anything else that helps you fix your eyes on Jesus throughout the day. Tell others, too. If we believe that Jesus is better, that God is, that he is God in all of his glory, that Jesus is God, this is a message that we need to share, right? People need to hear that Jesus is better because they're pursuing all these other things that were created, that were created by Jesus. They need to hear this message. So let's pray for and look for opportunities to let others know just how great Jesus is. Jesus is better. And so we must draw near and hold fast as we're going to hear in Hebrews this year. Let's not turn back. He is worth it. We will not regret it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it comes to us through Jesus. We thank you that it reminds us that we have what is very best, and there's nothing else that we could ask for. You have given us everything. And help us to not take that for granted. Help us to just walk away from here um, and help the Holy Spirit to continue to lay these things on our hearts and on our minds that we would uh, just trust 
you more, that we would believe in Jesus more, and um, that our lives would glorify you and honor you as we live in faith. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.